0: That is not a song that exists in reality. Okay, I'm gonna stop. Hi. (laughs) Got how to do this? I have a little cold. That's why I sound incredibly sexy. Um. Okay. So this is Sarah May Avi, and this is the uh, the Help Me Be Me podcast, and uh, I'm being funny, but this is actually really. Heavy topic. Um, so I'm gonna try to get I'm gonna try to get serious, y'all. So this is an episode called What to Do When You Can't Speak Your Truth. And this is an episode I've been wanting to do for a while because it's um it's something that I remember being very confusing and difficult in my own personal experience. Um it's basically when you you can't find your voice or access it, and yet you are mentally aware of something that you wish you did or you want to do, but you don't do it so there's like a divide between your thoughts and what you your actions are and it's a thing that happens to a lot of people, like you can feel the thing you have to say, and it's you're hearing it, screaming it in your head, and it's just stuck inside your body. Um, it's almost like you can, you can hear it, and you're desperately trying to get it out, but your body doesn't move. Like you're a silent victim trapped inside, uh, you know, double mirrors, and no one can see you or hear you. And then a moment passes you by. And maybe this is something that is present for you, current, or maybe it's something that happened a long time ago. Maybe this happens to you all the time. So wherever this is coming from for you, adjusting microphone, sorry. I think it can help uh, to give you just some insight because I know how that feels and it's traumatizing. It's the worst because it's like you are doing it to yourself and you are somehow the cause of your own horror because of the fact that you can't even be yourself. It's like you're acting against yourself. And it sets up this really heavy, powerful loop that compounds a new truth. The truth is, I am hopeless, I'm a liar, I'm invisible, I'm a coward, no one can see me suffering, I'm weak, I'm a betrayer, No one can help me, including me. Got kind of dark, huh? Well, it's going to get darker. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, that's that feeling. It's a really deep, dark, where no light reaches kind of feeling. And it can own you. These types of things, like, stick with us forever. So let's get to some positive insights and information. With that, there are three parts. The what, the why, and the how, the tools. So before I go into this one, I want to be safe. And I don't want you to get upset, and I don't want you to get triggered. And I know that this can bring up some memories that might might leave you feeling really raw and unsettled. And I don't want to do that. I want to make you feel better, and I want to not threaten your stability. So. Use your best judgment. If this goes into an area that makes you feel really overwhelmed or upset, turn it off and watch Ratatouille or Zootopia. All right, here we go. Part one, the what. When we don't act, even though we know we should, or we don't speak up when we want to, and we regret it. Maybe you talked yourself out of saying something or doing something that you really desperately wanted to say or do. And now it's like this badge of shame, this thing that you replay or you feel really shitty about, like watching yourself powerless, knowing that there's something that you should be doing and you're wanting so desperately to do this thing, but you somehow kind of know you're not going to um it's almost like waiting for the moment to pass or watching the moment pass even though at every single second you are aware you could be saying something and maybe this isn't like a time sensitive thing maybe for you this is just an experience that you wish you did differently like you wanted really badly to be honest with somebody and in when the moment came you didn't and you felt really bummed about that or you regretted it or you feel ashamed about how you behaved or maybe it's something that's in the future and you're not sure you can ever own up to your truth. I mean this is more based on past stuff but if that's your situation I think you will get to a good place by listening to this if it's something that's in the future. Um, And maybe your situation is Like, more confidence-related. Maybe you wanted to stand up for somebody else or yourself, and you couldn't, and you cowered. Or maybe you just froze in place. Like, you were unable to even look at what was happening. Or maybe you ran away. These are all fairly common and human experiences, and they can really, really bring us down. Maybe it was a moment of extreme ambivalence, like you were telling yourself to get the fuck up or do something, but simultaneously you were telling yourself you can't, don't, or it's too late. So all of these things are, uh, are, are really difficult because they are actions that betray part of ourselves. They're things that don't align with who we are. and. They can alter our trajectory and our perception of self moving forward because of how they redefine us. They are our actions. Therefore, they create who we are. Freeze me to part two the why. When we can't speak up for ourselves, or we can't say something, or we get trapped in our heads, unable to move our bodies, it signals a divide. A divide between the narrative you hear in your brain and the part of your brain that can activate your physical body. And that is made possible by the amazingly complex machinery you have a- inside your, your entire body. We have different areas of the brain that do different things, and a lot of those things are to protect you. Um, and some of them are automatic, and some of them are just just really layered and often they conflict we process a lot of information like a lot of different cues come in and kind of are filtered and computed and our emotions can go in different directions and um all a lot of those are gonna conflict in ways that uh will make us unable to identify all that's going on so we might have a very dominant narrative in our head Um, But we'll have different conflicting emotions that don't accurately correlate to our perceived feelings in a situation. Like you might be really confused by the fact that you're unable to run, for example. In basic terms, what that means to me is in this situation, you're either trapped in analysis or you're unconsciously ambivalent or you're disconnected. From your body because of a soothing mechanism an autopilot sort of thing your particular why is the part I want you to reflect on so think about your circumstance in particular as you listen to these I want you to first kind of bring to the forefront of your mind the time the situation the uh, circumstances of your voice owning lack of <laughs> So what was the time in your life when this occurred? Where were you as a person? What was going on in life before this? And what were the terms or the stakes involved? Because this is key to understanding yourself. If this is you currently, then just bring the the situation and all the factors to mind. Like where are you in your life? What are the pros and cons? How are you perceiving this thing? Like how are you defining this thing? And how would you define yourself? I know that's a lot. Um, I'll give you a moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that's long enough. So just so we're on the same page, the metaphor um, that is often used to describe the brain and our emotions versus our logic is uh, a wild horse and a rider. So when you have really strong emotional reactions, it doesn't really matter what the rider does because they are just managing the wild horse. So if you act outside of your own understanding, there's a strong likelihood that there is uh, an emotional reaction at play. So here we go, I have lots of different whys. This is a very long why section. I think I have like nine of these things. Kind of broad categories of why. Here we go. The first one emotional overwhelm, AKA coping mechanisms. So, how, however, we learn to deal with intense feelings growing up, we will revert to as adults. And this has to do with kind of um, our learned helplessness through fear or pain or shame. What I mean by that is if you were afraid or upset or triggered or overwhelmed, uh, this that signals that you were likely doing something similar to how you learned to cope with things that upset you growing up, kind of like um, it's like how some people disassociate, but in this case, it could be something really simple, like you shut down, you stop talking, you want to be alone or you get withdrawn. And maybe that's because that was the only way you could win love from your mom like is to completely shut down and like be like no i'm not gonna talk so however you learn to cope with upset of any different kind say it was like in uh, emotional conflicts or when you were really afraid or you felt really really vulnerable that is how you will default most likely as an adult, unless you went through intense therapy or you like had a big personality makeover because, you know, went through some extreme experience. It's just like the muscle memory you have. So just give yourself a moment to think on that. So part of the reason I said learned helplessness is because it's something that is very common for everybody. It's it's common for us to learn that we have limits just because we have tried to, to fix something or change something many times in a row and failed. And that becomes the truth, despite the fact that that's not accurate. So let's say you had, you know, five really bad math teachers in a row, or you, were, you have ADD and you got really bad marks. Listen to me, I'm British. You got really bad grades in math. Um, that will teach you, I am bad at math and I always will be. And it's just a circumstance of repetition. It's not really accurate to your life. And that's because we rehearse the belief after that point. A lot of people believe that learned helplessness is the cause of all depression, all anxiety, all phobias, all shyness, all loneliness, because it's self-perpetuated. Um, and we continue to live it out. We learn that we are sufferers because we have tried to help ourselves uh, too many times and failed. And that just creates a very, very heavy state of powerlessness. And, and that, that powerlessness is the one of the most difficult things to, um, to talk yourself out of because we accept it. That's the point that everything changes. You accept the state as, this is who I am forever. We stop believing that anything can change. And thus, we repeat it. We also learn our, capac- our capacities. We're told them by our, our formative experiences. Most, mostly our caregivers. So if you were belittled, um, just as like a normal go-to, like maybe your, your parent was always dismissive, that will in turn make you believe you have no um, voice of authority or you can't trust yourself, you know? Like, that's just the way you practice uh, your own perception of self. It's like feedback. And that's just because you're not given an opportunity to use the other muscles. Like, if you were to, for example, trade out the parent that's belittling, And instead, have a parent that's like, "Sing, you're amazing. Sing." Then you would be like, grow up being like, "I'm the best singer in the world." Like you just have, even if you were terrible at singing, that would just be your identity, and you would have no problem, uh, being extroverted. And I, for example, was super introverted and shy. And look at me now. I'm singing to strangers. Right. That's number one. The the reason being, if you did not speak up for yourself, it was likely a, um, a casualty of a coping mechanism that you have learned that you defaulted to. Like in an emotionally intense situation, your default is to be silent or avoid conflict. That's what I meant by number one. Number two overthinking aka controlling so let's say in this situation you are just trapped in narrative and, and analysis and thought maybe you were beating yourself up about the thing or you're telling yourself to act but then also to not act that is just the like brain chatter is a sign of ambivalence and not i don't mean like the Kind of basic ambivalence where you're like, oh, I have such strong feelings in both directions. I mean, like the ambivalence that makes you feel like you're going crazy, like where your brain's like going in loops and loops and it's like paralyzing to the point where you can't actually do anything because you're stuck talking about things in your own head. So, this kind of ambivalence is usually a veiled um, fear of pain. And it's it's actually why people are controlling. People that are very controlling or that are obsessed with controlling things, it's their way of in- empowering themselves to not feel vulnerable to pain. It's like, uh, you know, the self-made person's way of dealing with depression. Like, I'm going to obsess about this thing for, instead of being just really, really sad. But it's, it's in itself uh, a self-protective habit that is related to low self-worth. It's also a symptom of just vulnerability and a, and a desperate desire to defend one's sense of self, like one's ego, to not fe- feel vulnerable. And that's because at some point in your life, feeling vulnerable was really, really dangerous to you. Like You had to be empowered, and so you, you empowered yourself. So in general... When you're stuck in overthinking and controlling, I like to think of it as dominant brain chatter. Um, It's think of it like a computer. Your brain won't turn off, won't stop trying to solve things, or it's it's so overly active that you can't. It's it's disabling you from making decisions or even knowing how you feel about anything because you're just stuck in your head. So when you're in this kind of state, it is. Uh, an attempt to find grounding or to self protect from potential pain however it's actually an awareness of a um a truth that already exists like it's a it's a um a way of staving off a pain that you already know exists like you're trying to not accept this pain and you're trying to say no I'm not going to feel the pain I'm not going to feel the pain no I don't want to feel the pain I'm gonna move around the pain, but the pain is way less hurtful than the torturous ambivalence. Like the pain itself is just pain. It just is. It almost like feels refreshing compared to driving yourself insane. Because when you're in your brain chatter mode, you're like uh, you're so preoccupied and confused and detached from your ability to actually fix the situation. Like, it it disables you from even having a connection to what needs to be done or what you actually want, including saying how you really feel because you don't even know how you feel in those moments. Um, So it's almost like a self-protective, you know, safety belt that is strangling you. It's, It's happening because you're trying to protect yourself, but it's working against you. In other words, your brain is talking you out of what you really know deep down, and that is just a habit. It, it literally is like, um, you know, when you have a twitch because you haven't slept, like you're, you get that weird tick in your eye. It's the same kind of thing. So when we get in an, into a habit of thinking too hard to the point where we can't just feel or speak freely or decide things, the, there are really simple Causes and really simple solutions. I think as a race, humans are just prone to wanting to, you know, make everything into a thing. Like it has to mean so much. It's like, it's part of this, you know, being me centric and egocentric and kind of so fully in our brains all the time. If we had the natural balance that, comes from having you know no light but the sun your brain would be shut off and you'd just be kind of meditative and happy like an animal from let's say 8 p.m until 6 a.m but because we have smartphones and we're constantly you know on the computer all of this meta stuff makes our brain like how it's a 2001 reference people and We tend to make this story of our brains, all this thinking and narration into such an important thing and like we have to decide all this stuff and then like, how do I feel? Oh my God, what do I want for lunch? I don't even know what I want for lunch. Like all of that stuff is so big in our brain, but in the actual scale of reality outside of our brain, it means nothing. But we can't see that. We, can't, we get stuck in deciding all the time and narrating all the time. And that is a, I, I would say, like a, a muscle that's overly flexed that needs deliberate attention in order to be de- relaxed so you can regain the balance that you're, you're owed as a creature of flesh and blood that lives on the planet Earth. And if you don't like meditation... That's totally cool. I mean, a lot of people that don't like meditation, they don't like it because there is a lot of pain and trauma or or there's a reason they can't feel at rest in their bodies in quiet. So how do you help yourself if you are one of those people? Movement. There's a lot of new research that says, um, you know, drumming or things that involve rhythm or... um I know tapping is, like, too experimental, but, like, if you are uh, tuning into sensory things, including in uh, dance or in anything related to sound, that can be something that you can focus on so you don't have to be so still or trapped in your body. And that can be a way to really regain the balance so that you're not so guided or blinded by the narration of your own brain. Because... When you get into the habit of thinking too hard, it's, um, it stops you from even knowing how you truly feel. Because all of that information is like you feel it. You feel it in your gut and it's usually in like the pit of your belly. And it can make everything so much easier and so much more simple if you, if you could just sense that. Because honestly, pain is not the end of the world. It just feels like it when we're resisting it. Unless you've been through really terrible trauma, then pain does feel like the end of the world, and in that situation, you need to do you. (laughs) But for people that are just, you know, in the overthinking part, that's like this fight uh, we're having with not wanting to be out of, not have control. And most often... The feeling we're trying to fight off is like the one that we have. It's like this old tale. We've told ourselves for years about who we are. It's usually from childhood. Could be, you know, for example, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to be invisible. I need to be loved enough. Like our ego, our brain computer is trying to protect us from feeling that. So we constantly rationalize and try to control um, a situation so that we don't have to feel that story. And all that happens is you get into a much worse state of ambivalence. It's torturous. And that's, that's, I think, the most frustrating state to be in when you can't tell how you actually feel. So I'm guessing if this is you, you're likely type A, And there's a good chance you are also low on serotonin. People, I know for myself, when I get into this state of brain chatter, I'm like, oh shit, I got to go hiking. Like that's, it's directly um, tied to uh, all the good happy chemicals and endorphins that come from just balance and exercise and outdoors. It can also be triggered by low blood sugar. And that's because when your glucose is drained, by like, let's say, a day of tedium and then traffic, that's when your reservoir for decision-making is drained. So ambivalence will be exacerbated. Energy aside, um, general overuse of your brain is something that I think is the most relevant. Because when you're thinking all the time and analyzing all the time, it's like you lose all tether to just the really basic and simple okayness that is being a human. It's like life and death is not in your brain and in every single narration of a thing. Um, and your brain actually, all of this narration is actually triggering all the hormones that correlate to, you know, emotional highs and lows. So this is all the more reason it's important to take care of the balance between your brain's on and off setting. All right, that was number two. Number three, learned helplessness, a.k.a. false identity. So quite literally, the most damaging kind of pain is the pain we feel helpless to stop, and yet we are witnessing it. When we are confronted with pain, uh, whether it's depression or abuse or something that we cannot control and we can't do anything to help ourselves, that kind of pain really fucks us up. Pavlov called it inescapable shock. And it's when we're powerless in a situation and um, we have to suffer. We have to kind of be in the suffering and mentally we're, we're unable to help ourselves. And that doesn't mean we have to be like bound and gagged and shocked and drowned. It can be something like we're conceptually stuck between two really bad things. Often we allow ourselves to be hurt or, or trapped because we are choosing uh, a lesser scary option. Like it's scarier to do the more active thing. And that can be a really confusing thing and that's the reason that learned helplessness is something that often takes hold in youth like when you're a kid you don't you can't make sense of these things like it's not logical it's not logical to even adults but children will survive like because they're mentally making all of these decisions based on temp- attempting to stay safe to survive and usually they will choose something they know something that they can control and that's why they will choose to endure a lot of pain if it's coming from a caregiver it takes an ex- exceptionally brave kid to run away it's really rare kids don't run away from home even if they're being you know really badly abused partners who endure abuse cannot leave or don't leave because the pain of loss of the person they love, of their home. Like, that is worse to them than just physical pain. And the saddest part of this kind of inevitable suffering is however we choose to cope with things creates a false identity because we kind of forget the original decision-making process we went through, or it's just so deep down, like it's a survival thing that we're not even aware of, so we can't even make sense of ourselves. So, we just judge ourselves as others would because it's too complex. So, we think, oh, I'm just a weak, worthless human being. I'm just an idiot, or I'm just a whore, or whatever it is. So, when we are in this situation that, let's say on the surface, we perceive, um, I'm a beaten partner and I just want to get away from the abuse because I feel terrible about myself, we won't be able to identify all the intense fear um, of being in the world alone. We won't be able to quantify the, um, the amount of humiliation we've endured that has made us feel like we have no power. All we will really identify is, I keep trying to leave this situation and I can't. And that is how we take on helplessness. We just accept it and that's the point where just just becomes my life and we stop trying so let's say you wanted to stop someone from doing something and you didn't like you watched a terrifying situation or an extremely painful one and you wanted to scream and you didn't this instance in itself is traumatizing but it's also really confusing because consciously You might be saying to yourself, why the fuck am I not running? Or why am I not helping? Or why am I letting this happen? And yet, you know, almost like you're uh, aware of another truth. You know your capacities, um, and, and you're not able to do that thing. And that is because you have learned it through experience. You've learned I can't win. Or I, this is my life. This is the way things are. And that is a really difficult thing to believe. Because we are very, we are very guilt-driven. And we're, you know, in, in any kind of shame-inducing situation, the shame is so thick. Because we have this conscious awareness that can take in the entire situation, the shame itself defeats any uh, ability for us to have compassion for all of those factors. It really takes a lot of dissection and putting things in like a hierarchy to even begin to believe in that justification. And I know for myself that it takes a lot of just talking through with somebody that is not you for you to ever believe it. So just know that, no matter what has happened to you or whatever you have done, if you talk to the right person, eventually that rationale will ring true for you. Even if you have, like, the gnarliest shame in the world, there will be a certain point you'll be like, yeah, no, but I'm an asshole. Yeah, no, but I'm a douchebag. But I know me. I'm a piece of shit. Eventually it will get all, like, you know, all of the little like lockets will align in the sword and it'll light up and you'll be like, oh, fuck, oh, my God. And then you will be, you'll be like, I want to help everybody in the entire universe. It's just a matter of the right education and the right talking through all of the context. Because you can tell you without a doubt. I mean, every single, every single person that suffers a disorder, there is a root cause to that thing. I believe that a thousand percent. I believe that you can have genetic propensities to things, but I think a thousand percent everything comes from somewhere. There there's a reason everyone in jail has trauma. It's not from nowhere. Yeah, I just went on a tangent for an hour. Okay, wait, where was I? Okay. So anyway, back to the podcast I was doing about why you can't speak your truth. Um okay. So when this happens to you, somewhere inside there's the real you who knows this person is wrong. Uh or or the person that's hurting you is wrong or you are whatever's happened to you is wrong and you don't act like the thing that's happening. And yet there's this uh new identity, the lie that you take on to control the situation. It's always preferred for humans to have control. The worst thing in the world is to be powerless. That is the most traumatizing thing you can ever feel is vulnerable and powerless. So we always will by default choose the the identity that gives us control. So that is the part that gets really hard to reconcile. So the other voice that was the victim of whatever you watched happen, including if you watched yourself do something, that Victim voice gets so quiet, and you stop believing believing it exists. Same goes for when you're putting yourself into really dangerous situations. Like, people put themselves into dangerous situations um, often because they are very uncomfortable with their anxiety, and being in dangerous situations helps them feel in control of the anxious feeling. But you might have a voice inside of you that's saying, Why am I doing this? This is so dangerous, and I hate this, and I'm terrified. Why am I doing it anyway? So sometimes our actions are created by the secondary narrative, and that is the narrative that helps us to survive. And we are our actions, or we are defined by our our actions, but we can't see that that is something contradictory to our true self. We, like, lose sight of our true self. Because it's, it's a way to not suffer so much. And in order to survive, you start to just own it. And that is the moment in time where the false life and the double self begins. So my point is, when you do things that hurt you, and you can't understand them yourself, or you are doing something that you know in your mind is bad and not, Aligning with what you know to be good, that's coming from an old narrative, an old mechanism. And it's one that began when you were trying to protect yourself. And now it is not serving you. Get to the root, dispel the lie, go to therapy. It's my catchphrase. All right, that's lengthy number three. All right, number four. Humiliation, a.k.a. loss of purpose. When you feel humiliated or worthless, you lose your scale for reality. Like, everything turns into a zero-point game. Humiliation works in partnership with learned helplessness in that it degrades uh, the self, and with that, our sense of purpose. Um, Research says... That all creatures on the planet, like animals and humans, the most essential thing for uh, life and health is purpose. It's it's like the core ingredient for survival. So for animals, maybe it's, you know, foraging for the winter. And maybe for humans, it's, you know, making sure your kids get to the college they want to go to, whatever it is. It's kind of the same, but when we are humiliated or we, um, we lose our, our ability to feel in control of ourselves, we also lose our desire for anything. We lose our connection to um, all that is reality. And that is because we can no longer connect to the experience of value. We can't experience um, any kind of value in ourselves. And we lose the experience of joy. So I would group, group trauma into this because when you're traumatized, your brain chemistry changes so that you are trapped in like a living hell. And you no longer are able to enjoy the, you know, things that come with life. Like intimacy or um, having control and the ability to make things good. Like because you're constantly set on chaos, you can't. You lose the ability to have social connections. You lose the ability to be vulnerable or at rest. So the value of the experience is gone. And this is when we stop trying. We stop participating. We start giving a shit when you give up on yourself you stop being able to function it's like you're living already dead and that's the reason you might be immobilized um or not acting or not not caring enough to do the right thing even though you're aware of what it is like the motivation part is is what's gone we all need to care enough about ourselves to believe that what we do matters. We have to believe in the value of ourselves enough to express that value to somebody else. And that's not an excuse. It's just a truth that must be mourned for everybody, by everybody that's affected. So if you humiliate you are humiliated by let's say repeated acts done to you or you have done, eventually it's almost like too painful to live in that. So instead, you accept it and you just become it. And that point of becoming it, like learned helplessness again, once you become it, it's like all of the human part, all of the joy, all of the... Um, the best part of life which is is doing things for others and having connections to others all of that is nil and that can create a lot of other really gnarly situations like once you stop caring you're like a dead person once you really don't give a fuck then you're capable of you know pretty much anything because there are no rules no, there no values exist anymore it's just everything is you know black darkness, terribleness. That's number four. Number five, dumb politeness, a.k.a. proper appearances. So this is for anybody that talks themselves out of speaking up when they knew better, and maybe somebody else talked you out of your own opinion, or you talked yourself out of it, or you didn't trust your own gut instincts, or you had an inkling and then you dismissed it, and... Uh, Now you realize, like, I knew. Why didn't I do anything? Well, we gain more culturally by maintaining normalcy than by speaking up. Just that is a more rewarded thing. To be the same is more culturally rewarded than being different. So the prospect of upsetting somebody is worse than staying quiet. I call this dumb politeness because it's truly something that causes um the most or it's one of the main causes of people that are um attacked when they had a gut instinct and they ignored it it's like it's really really common um so people when they you know they don't want to think something bad they don't want to cause trouble they don't want to to feel like a bad person or look dumb or or make other people not like them and that need to fit in or that that cultural inclination to be polite is very um it's very dangerous and we've taught ourselves into it and i I, we very much have to teach ourselves out of it so whether that's anger or fear or mistrust or just something doesn't feel right we have to listen to that and often we don't because we think what if we're wrong That is the ego again, defending you from possible defamation. It's like, I don't want to look dumb. Our brains will mistrust any extreme feeling. But your gut, your intuition, is like the most intelligent sense you have. If you show a person a a fake piece of art, they will know, but they won't know why. Experts are the ones who get duped. So humans have a built-in extremely attuned sense of intuition. But the brain is what talks us out of it. And the brain is stupider. Shouldn't separate the brain because the brain is also the part that helps you. But anyway, it's coming from a fear of confrontation or fear of being wrong. And the fear of action because that's a main reason that people don't vaccinate their kids. If they don't do anything... Then I won't hurt them. But it's counter, it's, it, it's not helpful to you. So back to the speaking of truth. If you talked yourself out of saying something or doing something or acting on something, it's likely because you, um, just like many people in modern culture, in uh, rich countries, we don't have a habit of speaking up at all. We don't do it. We just don't have the opportunity. We're taught to say things nicely, to greet strangers nicely. We don't really yell. And that is something that we literally just have to practice. We have to practice using our voice and uh, and saying things that are not favored. And we have to just get comfortable with that deliberately. The connection you have to your gut is, firstly, something you just have to be aware of and really attuned to and listen. It, you have to listen like very, very uh, acutely to what your instincts are saying, and you have to honor them at all costs. I honor my gut always, to the point where it annoys other people. Like To the point where we're like, okay, we know you trust your gut, Sarah, and you listen to it. All the time. But, like, honestly, your gut won't lie to you. It doesn't mean that you won't be wrong. It just means that, like, it is the smartest part of you. So you have to first be aware of your gut. And then second, practice using your voice. It's just like a muscle. If you're not used to confrontation or it's just not, like, I hate confrontation. If you're not naturally inclined to be a person that fights. Maybe no one in your house talked about things um on the level maybe everybody talked in like oh are you angry right now or is is that person angry like if they talked about you in third person it might just not be something in your wheelhouse but even though it's not a born-in temperament or something reinforced by your upbringing you have to practice it you have to teach yourself to get comfortable Um, in the face of this situation in, in particular literally just start to practice Speaking up and being loud and correcting things in the moment that you know that they are wrong. Pract- start practicing on small things. Things that are not so, such a big deal. Like, um, you know, the waiter didn't, c- c- you know, collect or c- calculate the right amount on the, like, no, don't be mean to waiters. Waiters have enough shit to go through. Uh, let me think of a different example. Um, the next, next time something, somebody, you know, says something dismissive, practice saying like, excuse me, that really hurt my feelings. Can you not say something that dismissive? That's not necessary. Like be confrontational. And yeah, it's going to feel icky and weird, but you just have to get in the habit of being uncomfortable and then it gets super easy. Number five. Oh, also, by the way, on that one, um, check out the book, The Gift of Fear. I will link, link to it in the blog version of this. It's great. It's a great book. Everyone should read it. Okay, number six. Trauma. So what I mean by trauma is an unprecedented and negative experience, intense fear, helplessness in the face of imminent danger, powerlessness to help yourself out of emotional or physical pain, shock. Or um, experiencing triggers or or things that conjure an old experience like this. So when you're triggered or you're really intensely upset, the part of your brain that allows you to make decisions despite your emotions is literally shut off. Like if you were to look at a brain scan, you can see that it's just blank. And when that part of your brain is shut off, you lose a sense of time and space and um, a connection to, information that's stored from your memories, and you literally become trapped in the moment. That's why old traumas are, are like m- emotional movies. They're just like images, and they don't have, they have sounds, and they don't connect like stories. They don't connect to the rest of our brain. So you might literally lose the ability to connect to what you're doing. Um, to, you might lose the ability to connect that to the logic of the situation itself because of the fact that your emotional brain is on high. So when you're stuck in this state um, and your emotional brain's on high, uh, you cannot relate to the shared reality in really important ways. Like socially, you can't identify how others see you or how they are feeling and you can't make sense of um, the situation related to all of your past experiences and you can't, also feel um, joy. You can't feel vulnerable. You can't feel like human because you're on the defense. So long story short, if you get triggered, you will be incapable of saying the thing that the rational you might say. Because not only are you unable to perceive the reality that is occurring, you're unable to access the correlated emotional response. Hence the reason you are unable to understand what to do or think about what to do when you're emotionally triggered. I find that most people who have PTSD or, or just past trauma don't believe in their own shit. Like they don't believe they have past trauma. They think, no, I'm smarter than that. Or I would know. Or I, it wasn't that bad. Or I didn't go to war, so I have no excuse. So you might be like most people. You might be hard on yourself thinking, but I know better. I knew better. Well, yes, you do. In retrospect, when you're in a balanced headspace, you can think and access your, your most intelligent thoughts, and you can decide what you should do. But when you are triggered, you are uh, in a threatened state, And you cannot access those things. Which brings me to my next why. Which is disassociation. So number seven. So some people cope with stress by leaving their bodies. Like this is likely something, um, if you are this way, it's something you are probably preconditioned to do from a very young age. And it feels kind of like zoning out. Um, where you go into like an empty-headed state and your body gets numb. So this could be something that happened to you for the first time in this intense situation, and you were paralyzed and couldn't act. Um, And it could also be something that was set up by a trauma from a long time ago that maybe you don't even remember. But quite literally, when people are really freaked out, sometimes they freeze and they shut down, like a possum. Other people don't do that. Other people get really ragey. Um, and even people that get really ragey and freaked out, next, uh, next time will become shut down and numb. Because basically they can't handle the freaked outness anymore. And so they're, the easiest thing is to just shut down. Other people that get really freaked out will in, just manually shut themselves down by drinking a lot of alcohol. But when this happens to you, when you're in a moment of emotional overwhelm, it's often not a decision. It's usually an unconscious reaction. And your propensity for this is largely dictated by just your personality type. So, like, let's say you're a very passive, quiet person. Maybe you're the kind of person that shuts down. And if you're, like, a really gregarious person, maybe you get ragey. Anyway... At a certain point, it's not really up to you. It's just this like uh, automatic hell shutdown thing. And it's kind of dictated by however you coped early on. So whatever, however it occurs, it's also happening in your body chemistry. So if let's say you're really, really upset and you're freaked out and you're in terror and you start to zone out, you might be um, conscious the entire time but just like watching yourself from far away. Almost like a movie is being played, but it's not you. You're just watching somebody else in this movie. So you will like f- not feel it. Or maybe you're aware of the feelings, but they're not. you're not in them. So it might be this like really horrific situation, and yet you have absolutely no emotional response, which is bizarre, right? It's the weirdest thing in the world. And that is like the numbing itself is like a defense mechanism. But it's really um, it's really fucked up and confusing because you actually you might really want to feel something like you might really want to feel sad and you feel nothing. Or you might want to really be able to, you know, cry about something or remember or, or feel that something was really upsetting. But you don't feel anything about it at all. And that is because your body has chosen to protect you the best way it knew how, which is to shut everything off. So this is like very similar to how, like feeling like your brain is drawn a blank and or that you don't know how you feel about something. So if this is how, if this is a coping mechanism that sounds familiar, then you likely have um, lots of experiences where someone's yelling at you and you're like, you know you should feel something and then you feel nothing. And it doesn't mean that that feeling doesn't exist in you. But you have to do some work to get to it. I know the numbing part is like the worst, most frustrating thing in the world. It's like, I can't feel the nerve. Where's the nerve? And a lot of people, because of this suffering, will choose pain. Like a lot of people will... Um, choose really dangerous situations or will hurt themselves or mutilate themselves because they want to feel something and and usually the easiest way to feel something is to be in like intensity which is not you know not a positive thing so if this sounds like you and you really want to get to the bottom of those feelings you absolutely can and should Therapy. Uh, the current treatments involve, you know, reconnecting to your senses by like basically reteaching your body how to identify the emotions because they're really, really subtle cues. And in order to get back, it's almost like reconnecting wires that were disconnected a long time ago. Um, usually what they do is they reconnect them through touch, uh, movement, they. I mean therapists that practice this in particular. Um, touch, Rhythm, physical activity. Um, I know there's like something with Pilates and bouncing on Pilates balls. If you want to know more about this, Google depersonalization and um, read the book, The Body Keeps Score. I'll put a link to that in the blog version. Um, Okay, that was seven, I believe. Number eight, ambivalence and truth. So there are a lot of situations when there are really good reasons to do something and also really good reasons not to do something. How we interpret these reasons is where the pain and the shame and the I-betrayed-myself-or-I-betrayed-someone-else story comes in. And when we have opposing strong feelings or, or really powerful motivators in opposite directions... Often we are not aware of all of those opposing feelings. And that's because they stay way below the surface of logic. They're often operating at a survival level, especially when we're really young. So when we don't do something, we don't say something, it's usually because there is a threat to us that prevents us from organizing all of us into an action. For example, standing up for a friend who is bullied, you have to be completely bulletproof in yourself, and also able to endure mental and physical harm, in order to motivate all of you to put yourself in harm's way, and that kind of conviction is something that is um, created by like excessive love of parents. And probably also um, a lot of experience in, you know, being able to protect yourself. Like, knowing your own strength. You have to know it in order to give it. Self-love is the same. Like You can't give love until you have self-love. So when your tank is full, you can, pre- you can do pretty much anything. You can let go of whatever it means. And everything gets really simple. Because you know you are okay no matter what. You're coming from 100%. And that is why I do this podcast. Because I want everyone to have that wholeness. So if there's something you didn't say, and it hurts you not to say it, I want you to reflect upon the idea that maybe you had real and valid reasons to not say it or not do it. It hurt a part of you to not say it, but it protected another part of you to hold it back. There's a time and a point in our lives when we are really ready and capable of doing what we need to do. So if you didn't act on something at a certain time in your life, my belief is there was a reason. And you might not be aware of it now, or you might be too preoccupied with the shame to even entertain that right now but context is everything and regardless if you weren't there then you just weren't it doesn't mean you're a shitty terrible human being it just is it's here now for you to learn and that is the most important thing for you to do is to use it for good and not for selfish martyrdom. That would be wasteful and unloving. So with that, let's get to part three, the tools. Okay, (laughs) number one, squeeze out the volume. I was going to change that name and I didn't, but think of it like a tube of toothpaste. Think about your body as like a... Uh, like a tube of a toothpaste that's like almost out of toothpaste. If you have been helpless and vulnerable or felt um, a lack of confidence for a long time, you will literally feel like you don't have it in you to use your voice or speak up for yourself. But it's just like a muscle. And in order to get to a place where you can say what you think and do it automatically, you just have to start practicing it as hard as you can literally like you're wringing out a chamois or a sham wow um so this tool i want you to there's two parts of it actually but the first part is i want you to start to in the moment of the next moment i think you're just gonna have to visualize this in order to remember it but the next time you have something you want to say and you're the type of person let's say that never ever says it let's say you're getting yelled at by somebody and you like never stand up for yourself Think of your body like you are the tube of toothpaste and squeeze out the words and it'll come out like the tiniest, tiniest little voice, but just get it out of your body. Even if you're just whispering it, it will like just being able to squeeze it out, just even the tiniest bit, even if you're like, don't say that to me, it hurts my feelings. You'll be able to get a little bit louder each time. And sometimes it'll feel like it's stuck in your throat. But just try actually flexing or twisting your torso. Like like you can almost use your hands like you're doing the Heimlich on your body. Just get the words out. Help force your physical body to get the words out. It literally starts that way. I kid you not. Like it'll be like, I need a microphone. That's how hard it is at the beginning and the next time it'll get a tiny bit louder and the next time it'll get a little bit louder and it won't be as delayed but just give yourself the at least the reward or the knowledge that you said it like getting it out of your body is such a like almost like just a symbolic release of i have a voice and it exists and, okay, this is a two-parter. So this is the second part of the tool. I want you to practice yelling. And I know for myself, it's super uncomfortable to yell and to use volume, especially if you're used to being invisible. Like, if you if you want to be a person that isn't noticed, let's say you have low confidence or you are... Um, you don't like attention maybe you were abused or or violated in some way like that's another motivator for being invisible is not wanting to be seen and and to be hiding all the time like just practice yelling as loud as you can and i suggest doing it in the car on the freeway um or if you don't have a car do it in a pillow and pick a time when you are not around people and like Literally practice screaming. You know, if you can make it into a sentence that's relevant, mo beta, so try it. Just practice yelling. Practice using volume. Um, another trick I have in the squeezing of the toothpaste, practice using um, somebody else's voice, like an alter ego. Like, try using an accent. And I, <laughs> sounds weird, but try practicing it like, with strangers, like, on the phone. So, like, when you're ordering food, for example, like, order it in this alter ego. Like, uh, for example, my alter ego voice, I would say, in high school was, like, the stupidest girl in the world. (laughs) I mean, not, I didn't intend it to be the stupidest girl, but it was very much, like, I don't know what you mean. It was that kind of person. But it it was, like, it creates this extra layer where you're, like, You can use a voice more so when it's not yours. So just as a way to help yourself say things, um, even if you're just doing it in a kind of sing-songy way, uh, that can be really helpful. So basically I want you to just practice saying things, saying them louder and louder. Tool number one. Tool number two is a journal exercise. Yay. So this one's called Take the Tangle Apart. Okay. Well, Regret is like a worn-out romance novel. Like crappy paper cracking on the cover. It's got bad writing. We tell ourselves a story of something that we did that's shitty, and we keep telling it the same way forever. But it's tired, and it's pretty crappy quality and it doesn't represent the truth it represents how we internalized the pain of shame we felt in another time and what that means is this thing didn't align with who we are that's why it hurts it hurts us that we did it we get to choose how that thing defines us in that moment even though that moment is past we get to choose. The reason we keep telling it is we, we kind of get used to it and then it just keeps looping over the years. But if this thing was something past for you, I want you to look at it today, right now, from today's vantage point. I want you to do it with your journal. Because looky here, your situation now is very likely not. Accurate to the person who lived that experience. Like you get stuck in it when you remember something, and you live it emotionally like it was true now, but it's it's actually not true for you anymore. And just like everything else, like every other memory, we we experience painful memories, um, in, in all of our body. Like they take over removing our emotions and our intelligence and uh, our awareness of the present. And it's like we go replay this old movie from the past. Um, but that movie you keep playing, is, it doesn't have to mean the same thing for you today. So the thing you're feeling is most likely the shame of your old self. And that thing just activates in the same loop again and again. So this is the tool. Grab your journal. I want you to rewrite the more accurate and objective story of this thing by taking it apart in your journal from a more objective and current angle. And by that I mean I want you to record all the context and um, factors around it and place it in the right order. And that includes your age, the emotional factors that led up to this thing, your coping style, the reasons you are this coping style, any experiences before this that would have set it up, reasons you were ambivalent in that moment, and most importantly, I want you to write a list of the valid reasons that someone in your situation in that time would have done such a thing. And once you've gathered all of that information, I want you to craft uh, also the story of the person you are now because of that. The person that is different than the person then. Basically, how you have changed. Record all of the qualities you have and the actions you now take to embody the person who is fully aligned with their values, including optional bonus journaling, write the story of how you would be able to react to that situation today. Because I would guess that you have a lot more tools and awareness than you did then. And if you choose to, I would write whatever this instance is into kind of a new narrative, like basically the new story of this thing. That you are going to be able to repeat to yourself or to others. Because we retell, when we retell a story in a certain light. It's like we're telling ourselves the same story. And that's like a diss. So don't tell yourself shitty stories. Know what I'm saying? So. I want to reiterate. There is a reason for everything. And. Let's say you did something that betrayed a part of yourself. It doesn't mean that you didn't do that for a really good reason. Everything we do is a personal choice we make at any given, any given time based on the best tools we have. And you get to choose the right and wrong way to live your life. It's most important to choose for the right reasons. And by weighing everything out, And once you weigh everything, all the factors, and you decide, you just got to accept what is and forgive yourself if that happens to be wrong. Because you can't know everything. You can't make everyone happy. And if you made a certain choice that compromised your truth, I want you to consider maybe that's because it was worth it to you at that moment. Everything is a trade-off. And the truth isn't always the best decision. It's always personal. So you have to weigh the pros and the cons, and sometimes you, you do the thing that you're capable of at any given time. All righty, the last tool I have. Actually, it's not the last tool. I lied. I have a couple more. Um, I don't even know what number this is. I'm just going to go through the last tools. Take a right. Literally take one positive action. Make one right in this world. Anytime you feel guilt or shame, this is like the universal tool for all suffering. And I suggest you literally do it right now. And if you can affiliate it to your moment... Whatever it is, let's say you didn't tell someone you loved them before you lost them. Tell 10 friends on the phone that you love them. Or write a letter to that person and read it aloud and then blow out a candle. Basically take an action. That is the most, like it's like taking 20 Advils. It's like the most relief you can ever get from something that you, you regret. The worst part of any bad done is allowing it to continue to create badness. It's your duty to counter this thing and make it mean something new for you. And the best way to do that is to take an action, to help others, to use it to motivate positive. It's like a miracle drug. No joke. Do it now. All (laughs) righty. So, all right, here's my last tool. Um, get off that pedestal, or no, this would be the opposite. Beware the pedestal and tell someone. Get out from under the pedestal. All right, there's a pedestal and telling someone. So this is like a go-to habit of people who are used to hiding or um, controlling pain or type Airs. Uh, They polarize. They put others on a pedestal, and they put themselves below or opposite. And it's just a habit of trying to be in control of things that hurt. So it's like a go-to for managing anxiety. And um, so here's the tool. When you have a thought or a perception that you're starting to use to beat yourself up, let's say you're saying, like, I did this thing, and it... I'm I'm watching this thing happen and I'm not acting on it and it's because I'm a shitty person. Like you're being you're finding yourself being passive in situations that resemble this, you know, I can't say what I wanna say and I'm just a shitty person. When you have that moment and you're starting to beat yourself up, say it aloud. Say that thing exactly. Like a big nerd. Literally say to somebody, I am feeling really I feel like I should say something and I'm not saying it. Like literally narrate it. And this is a tool for anybody who feels ashamed for feeling their feelings as well. Um, and this is literally how you start to grow control over your pain and anxiety, even if you're writing it down to yourself. But literally by telling the, th- the thing you're feeling to anybody and maybe you feel really lame, you probably... Full disclosure, you probably will feel really lame and vulnerable and know that that's going to happen and that people are going to look at you weird and just accept that that's going to happen. But this action is a way for you to literally build an extreme amount of confidence very rapidly. Um, Because what these feelings do and these thoughts do is they actually separate you, they isolate you, they build a wall between you and. Um, feedback and help and others and they also protect the feeling of shame it's like you know it's also very selfish this is a control mechanism that's actually hurting you and um, it also compounds this false truth like i'm just a shitty person or i'm not it also keeps you from action when you separate yourself like i am a shitty person that's stopping you from acting and doing the right thing like people often do it when they're they're making themselves lower and other people higher, and that's a way to say like um, of not having to try or not having to push yourself to try and fail. It's protecting yourself from failure. Getting back to the tool, it's um, it's it's literally in the moment you feel a shameful feeling. Say, I'm feeling. You don't even have to say shame. You could say like. I feel really bad about this, or I'm feeling really, um, I feel like I should have said something. I feel like just narrate the thing, the thought that's happening and don't allow it to stop you. And even if they have, um, you know, vague terms, like the more you can confront that thought before it becomes like this secret narrative, the more you can actualize it or put it on paper, the more you're going to build comfort with what's going on inside of you. And a language for being able to talk about your feelings. Like I would say that's like the most important ingredient to emotional health health, and I would say intimacy is having a language and the ability to talk about how you feel and not judge it on the way out. It's super, super healthy. And yes, caveat, depending on your circle or your environment, you might get weird reactions. And that means you're around people who are insecure. And it doesn't mean you should stop. It just means be prepared to accept their limits and their discomfort. And it can sting at first, but you might find yourself finding new groups of people to be around because you are more emotionally advanced. All right, that was a long one. So that's um, the episode. Uh, Before I close, I want to thank my latest sponsors. This is a long overdue thank you, but... Brandy, thank you for your amazingly huge and awesome donation. You are an angel, and I love you, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank all of my monthly sponsors for believing in me and for valuing this work. And when I become Oprah Jr., I will invite you all to my studio audience and give you new cars. So, in closing, you get to choose what your truth and speaking it Means to you today, and how you choose to bring that truth into your present life. And if this is a past hurt, whether or not you want to accept it, forgive it, and let it go, you get to decide that today. And that starts by being able to force objectivity on this thing like, literally, grab the head of that lamp and shine it at it. Just start there. It's just an exercise in, in openness, in brave openness. Because even if you don't believe it at first, you can change how you perceive yourself and all that you are ashamed of, and you can make a lot of sense of it. We don't do things for no reason. We're not shitty people. Everything has a source. So the goal is just to get to a place of transparency with yourself, and for good or for bad, that is how you can align with everything you feel and everything you feel is okay. And that state of just not judging how you feel removes the shame part. And it just makes everything so simple. It just makes everything so straightforward. It's like for good or for bad, you don't have to fight it. It just is. And when you're able to be transparent, transparent with yourself and like know how you feel and accept how you feel and not feel afraid of that, it's like oxygen. It just feels so good. It's like a weight is lifted. And I want you to have that. So, with that, we all do our best with what we have at a given time. And sometimes we don't have enough belief or enough confidence to speak our truth. And Sometimes we are so vulnerable and we're so confused and distant from ourselves that we can't organize all the parts to move our bodies and mouths to speak as one. It doesn't mean this thing or this time or this truth or this act has to damn you or define you or hurt you or that it has to mean everything that it currently means. I say that not to validate something that shouldn't have happened or say that, you know, wrongs were right. But I want I want you to know that so that you can look at this now as something new that's malleable. To pull out a stepladder and stand on the highest step, how does it look from here, from this point? What else can you see about it? What else can you learn from it? How can you change its meaning? There's something you can know or understand now that will loosen the knot just a tiny bit on this thing. It doesn't doesn't have to be so black and white. It's usually lots and lots of gray. So I hope this helped you, and if it did, please share it, and please hit subscribe, and... Please uh please share it with somebody you think it could help. And I wish you a very happy new year. Send you my love. Don't forget to smile.